0: Tropical resorts and mountain retreats are often described as heaven on earth. Well, one day believers will experience exactly that, heaven here on earth. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers how God's word describes this coming and very literal heaven on earth. If you're curious about what it'll be like, stay tuned as David introduces the new heaven and the new earth.
1: You know, one of the most surprising things to most prophetic students is that heaven isn't where they think it is ultimately, that heaven uh, has a lot to do with earth and how earth has been remade by God to make it a place uh, where heaven can dwell, and that heaven has a city which is a holy city which hovers over the earth. Oh, yes, all that's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. This is not uh, science fiction. This is the truth of the Word of God. And it is a blessed truth, and it's exciting to read about it. And it makes you uh, excited to know that God has a plan for us that extends beyond our lives here on this earth. We'll get to that today in just a moment. Um, Before we do that, let me remind you that you can get copies of the Signs book. The Book of Signs is uh, 460 pages, a hardcover book that we wrote, that is the basis for this three-month series. We offered it as a resource the first month, but you can still get it from Turning Point by going to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. There are three study guides that coordinate all of this material. You can get those from the same location. And I hope you will also look into getting the CDs if you want to Relisten listen to some of the material that we've taught. You'll be able to do it. Share this information with others. Host your own Bible study. You'll have a great time. Mighty discussions when you discuss prophecy. And um, so I encourage you to take advantage of that while this series is still on the air. Right now, we want to get started with this um, new lesson called the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 21 is our subject, and we'll spill over into the 22nd chapter as well. So let's get started. Within the heart of every man and woman, there lies a longing for a golden age on this earth. It is as if we all know that our paradise was lost in the Garden of Eden, and we hunger to have it restored. We want it back. This thought is expressed in the promises of politicians every year. Every election year, they promise us, often in eloquent terms, that they have been called of God to bring the nation into the golden era of prosperity. We've had the Great Society, the New Deal, name it, we've had it all. The political promise has appealed to us in our own hearts because it strikes at this deep chord of hope that is within every one of us, You can hear it in the dreams of the poets and you can read it in the literature of the authors. Many books have been written depicting a utopia, a time of freedom from struggle and from famine and from death and hurt and wars. Many groups have from time to time actually tried to produce this utopia. You can read about it in the history books. If you've read the writings of the Russian author Leo Tolstoy, you know that he tried to organize a utopian colony in southern Russia. Others have tried this too. Henry David Thoreau advocated that kind of thing in the woods of New England. Many have sought to rebuild Eden on this earth. And that is what lies behind the hope of the communism that is in our world today and of the writings of Lenin. He captured the imagination of many of the people with the hope that communism would be the means of producing a workers' paradise, a utopia upon this earth. These longings are evident in the expressions of many people's hearts, and they're in the speculations of many of the philosophers of our world. All through the history of our race, this hope has emerged from time to time with the anticipation of an era when the earth would be at peace and at rest and we would experience the golden age. This is exactly what the Lord himself taught us to pray when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. When you pray the Lord's Prayer and you say, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that is what you are praying for, that the conditions of heaven will be found at last on this earth. Now, those of us who have some theology know that that is not going to ever happen during the current reign of death on this earth, but it is the hope that is in every heart. This is the proper expectation of the people of God. It is in the Lord's Prayer, and we are taught to pray this by the Spirit of the Lord. And this is what the writer of Hebrews had in mind when he was describing some people who had suffered greatly and were managing to get through that suffering because they had a hope. It says, For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. They have a hope within them, and it was the hope for that eternal utopia that got them through the tough times of suffering. Whether we know it or not, men and women, we're homesick for the Garden of Eden. In every being there is a desire for what our first parents enjoyed. We desire a perfect and a beautiful earth. We want everything restored that was lost. We can't help ourselves. It's programmed into the software of our humanity. This dream finds its expression in many beautiful passages in the Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New. So I want to go with you, first of all, to the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. That's Roman numeral one, the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. If you read the Bible carefully, you will discover that salted throughout the scripture are little promises that this is what is going to happen. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 66 in verse 22, we read, for the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, will remain before me, says the Lord. Isaiah envisions a time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and it will last forever. He said, it will be before me forever. Later on, Isaiah also reports that this new heaven and this new earth will be so wonderful, so completely beautiful, that it will cause us to forget what we know about the earth as it is today. Listen to Isaiah sixty-five seventeen. And behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or even come to mind. Peter suggests that this new heaven and this new earth will be a place where righteousness dwells. 2 Peter 3.13, we read these words, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Over in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, the writer of Hebrews quotes a psalm with these words, and he says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Now watch this. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, (laughs) and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. The writer of Hebrews says one day God is going to take this world, just like you would take a coat when you're taking it off after church, and you're going to fold it up and put it away, God's going to take this world like a garment. He's going to fold it up, and then he's going to change everything. Now, Revelation 21, and notice what the writer John says from his position on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1 and then verse 5. Here's what he says. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That's the promise of a new heaven. Almighty God has said to us through John the Apostle that one day he is going to make everything about this earth and these heavens new. Now that's the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. Now I want to talk with you secondly about the purification of the new heaven and the new earth. First of all, let's look at some information. Turn now in your Bibles, away from Revelation chapter 21, back just a few books to 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, as you're finding your way in 2 Peter, let me just tell you that when you put together all of the information in the Old and the New Testaments, you discover that the new heaven and the new earth will not appear until the following things happen. First of all, there will be a time of tribulation, seven years at the end of which there will be a great battle called the Battle of Armageddon. Then there will be ushered in a period of time for 1,000 years called the Millennium. At the end of the Millennium, there will be a final rebellion and Satan will be cast into the Lake of Fire. The Great White Throne Judgment will take place and all those who have rejected Christ throughout history will be coming before the Great White Throne Judgments to hear these words, Depart from me, I never knew you. And all of the evil of the earth Will be judged and sent to the lake of fire immediately after that almighty god is going to purify the earth now watch what happens almighty god is going to do something that most people are quite surprised to learn about second peter three ten through 12 says but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. That is going to happen, according to the Scripture, immediately after the millennial period, after the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. Almighty God is going to do a purifying work on the earth as we see it today. Now, what does the Bible mean when it says that heaven and earth will pass away? For as long as I can remember, I have believed that this earth and the heavens that surround it would be annihilated, totally destroyed. Often I've heard preachers describe this in dramatic sermons as they talk about the Holocaust, as they talk about the coming days when the atomic bombs and the hydrogen bombs and neutrons would all be destroyed and everything would be totally annihilated. In other words, God was going to give up on this world, totally wipe it out, and start all over from scratch. I now realize that I was mistaken in my understanding, and so are many others, as I have learned. I am comforted by the knowledge that many teachers who have had thought processes like my own confess to having believed that and then having discovered as they studied the Bible that that wasn't true. In fact, one young man who is a great student of heaven has written a tremendous book on the subject called Heaven, Randy Alcorn, says this in his book. Listen to this. For many years as a Bible student and later as a pastor, I didn't think in terms of renewal or restoration. Instead, I believed God was going to destroy the earth, abandon His original design and plan, and start over by implementing a new plan in an unearthly heaven. Only in the past 15 years have my eyes been opened to what Scripture has said all along. Now, let's look once more at this passage in 2 Peter. Notice what he says. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, and the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. The word burned up in that passage of Scripture does not appear that way in the early Greek manuscripts. In fact, if you have a copy of the New International Version, it translates that phrase laid bare. The actual word in the text conveys the idea of being uncovered or laid open for exposure. In other words, Peter is not talking about destroying the earth, but rather about purifying the earth. The basic materials of the earth's structure will not be annihilated, but will undergo tremendous processes of disintegration, as Peter's language implies here. All the age-long evidences of decay wrought into the earth's crusts, especially the fossils and the cemeteries and other monuments of the reign of death will be completely destroyed. Then as the material elements of the former earth begin to fall together again after this holocaust, God will once more exercise his creative power and will create and make the new heavens and the new earth. Another key word in this passage is the word new. Notice in your Bible, he's going to make all things new. In what sense is the new heavens and the new earth new? Well, there are two words in the Greek language that are translated by the word new. And the one that is translated here is the word that means not new as opposed to having not existed before. It describes something that is new, not in time, but in quality. In the case of the new heaven and the new earth, it is a word that describes not something that never existed before, but rather something that has been in existence, but has been renovated and refreshed from the ruin and the decay of the past. In other words, what Peter is telling us is that in that moment of time, at the end of the millennium, is God is preparing for the eternal state, He is going to do a refreshing of the earth. He's going to destroy all the evidences of decay, all the evidences of disobedience and disease and everything that still will be inherent in the world, and he's going to destroy all of that. But he is not going to destroy the world. He's not going to annihilate the world in which you and I currently live. He's going to purify it. He's going to make it new in the sense of being fresh. He's going to make it new in the sense of being purified from all of the old corruption. Now since this is such a different understanding of this passage than is often presented, and I believe I knew what this meant, I wanted to be sure that I wasn't the only one who understood this. You know, if you're the only one who believes something from the Bible, you probably better not go around talking about it. (laughs) If it's new, it's not true, right? So whenever I come to something like this where I've got a little bit of a change in the paradigm of prophecy, I go immediately and I try to find everything I can read on it to make sure I'm not the lone ranger out here hanging out on a limb by myself. Not that I'm a coward or anything, but you understand what I'm saying. So I read numerous commentaries on these passages, and I want you to hear what a couple of other people have said. First of all, listen to what Henry Morris says about this passage. In both the Old and New Testament passages, the words for new mean new in respect to existence. That is, a new heaven and a new earth could be properly translated a fresh heaven and a fresh earth. It is just like the first, except that all of its age-long ravages of decay have been expunged, and it is fresh and new again. William Hendrickson, who is a Very well-known commentator writes it this way. He said, the first heavens and the first earth have passed away. The very foundations of the earth have been subjected to purifying fire. Every stain of sin, every trace of death has been removed. Out of the great conflagration, a new universe has been born. The word used in the original implies that it was new, but not other. It is a new world, but not another world. It is the same heaven and the same earth, but gloriously rejuvenated. John Piper, a more modern scholar, has written, what happens to our bodies and what happens to the creation go together. And what happens to our bodies is not annihilation, but redemption. Our bodies will be redeemed, restored, made new, not thrown away, and so it is with the heavens and the earth. When God created the heavens and the earth, over and over again, as he completed every part of the creation, what did he say? And God saw that it was what? good. And when he got all the way done, his very last statement, what did he say? And God saw that it was very good. <laughs> there is no evidence that he has ever changed his mind. His purpose is not to abandon his creation. His purpose is to restore it. Anthony Hoekema says, if God would have to annihilate the present world, Satan would have won a great victory. Satan would have succeeded in so devastatingly corrupting the present earth that God could do nothing with it but blot it out totally in existence. But Satan did not win such a victory. On the contrary, Satan has been decisively defeated. And God will reveal the full dimensions of that defeat when he shall renew this very earth on which Satan deceived mankind and finally banish from it all the results of Satan's evil machinations. Randy Alcorn writes, God doesn't throw away his handiwork and start from scratch. Instead, he uses the same canvas to repair and make more beautiful the painting that was marred by the vandal. The vandal doesn't get the satisfaction of destroying his rival's masterpiece. On the contrary, God makes an even greater masterpiece out of what his enemy sought to destroy. All right, we've talked about the information and the interpretation. Now, I want to give you an illustration. And isn't it wonderful that the illustration is right in the Bible, <laughs> right in the same passage of 2 Peter. So hold your Bibles open out to 2 Peter, and I want you to see something that will help you realize how accurate this interpretation really is. Read with me from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. This is about the flood that took place during the time of Noah. Are you with me? Here we go. Second Peter chapter three, verse five. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Now, what could this possibly have to do with the new heavens and new earth? Listen now carefully, because this is key. Peter gives to us the key of understanding fire by telling us about water. (laughs) He helps us comprehend the meaning of the final purging of the heaven and earth by describing the earlier purification that took place in the days of Noah. Now, I want to ask you some questions. Did the flood in Noah's time annihilate the earth? Did it? The flood was certainly destructive and cataclysmic, but it did not obliterate the world. God preserved Noah and his family so that they could re-inhabit the world that was made ready for them by the cleansing and purification of the flood. In the same manner, God will not cause the present earth to cease to exist by the fire that will come at the end of the age. The fire will have a much greater purifying effect upon the world than water did but it will not destroy the world. And just as Noah and his family were protected in the ark, God's people will be protected in the new Jerusalem, which we discovered recently is not on the earth yet, but is hovering above the earth. That will be our ark of safety during the purification of the earth. So we have the promise of a new heaven and earth, and we have the purification of the new heaven and earth. And now I want to give you thirdly some principles of the new heaven and earth. When this new heaven and new earth is finished and God has purified it, and it's still the same earth and still the same heaven, but it has been purged, it's been made fresh, and all of the sin stains are gone, and all the evidences of death are gone, and all the signs of disease are gone. What is the world gonna be like then? Well, go back to Revelation 21 with me, verse one, and let me give you one thing we know for sure. And this will shock some of you. It may even disappoint some of you, but I hope you'll be all right with it when we get done. Revelation 1 says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Now all of us who moved out here to California, so we get next to the ocean and you're standing up here and telling me that I moved out here for nothing because when God gets done with this place, he's going to wipe out the ocean. That's what it says, isn't it? There would be no more sea. What part of that don't you understand? (laughs) The Apostle John says there will be no more sea. Now watch carefully. Since three-fourths of the globe today is underwater, a new world without any sea would certainly be new. Hmm. Even my wife had an argument with me about that. She loves the ocean, and she can't believe that God would remake the earth and not have the ocean and I'm not sure I understand this all completely the way it is. I do know that the word see uh, has a has a way of conveying separation. And I think more than anything else, what the Lord is going to, to do in the future is make sure that we're not separated from one another. I'll leave it literally, no more see. And you can ponder it. If you have a, an idea of how that works, you can let me know. Well, we're going to take time now for the weekend. I hope you will get to church this Sunday. Um, These are important days to be in the Lord's house. I hope you'll be there. And um, Turning Point is on television, as you know, throughout the weekend, just about every place in the United States, in Australia, in uh, in New Zealand, in in Great Britain, all over the world, basically. And... uh, I hope you'll take time to watch and share as we teach the Word of God. It is our joy and, and our happiness to be able to do that, and hopefully it encourages you. But most of all, get to your own church. We cannot replace your church. We cannot replace your pastor. We cannot replace the role that God has for you in your local assembly. So get to church. And then uh, we'll be back on Monday uh, for part two of The New Heaven and the New Earth. And then uh, next week, we will conclude this series, uh, the 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. So if you have ideas about getting some of the resources for this series, you might want to do it. Even over the weekend, just go to our website. You can find everything you need there. That's also where you will find information about the cruise to Alaska. And uh, we hope that many of you will consider that. I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be able to talk with you today and share this time with you. Pray for a great weekend for you and yours. We'll see you on Monday.
0: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series Signs 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah.
2: Are you looking for a simple way to talk with unbelievers about the end times? This month, for a donation of any amount, you can receive Dr. David Jeremiah's newest book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival. And for $40 or more, you can receive two copies of this book to share with unsaved friends. Or for a generous donation of $85 or more, you'll also receive an additional booklet and DVD to help you refresh your knowledge of the end times. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to get your copy today. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca
1: invariably in the winter kids and even adults will find a frozen pond and inch out onto the ice further and further trying to see how far they can go from shore without the ice breaking there is something in the human psyche that likes to push the limits to see how far we can go without getting into trouble because of our fallen human nature God gives us safe limits the Ten Commandments are a good example followed by other guidelines in Scripture. Yes, they limit us, but their purpose is to keep us safe, and we are wise if we let them do their job. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's safe limits on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word
2: home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life.